0: What you end up losing is you lose the why. You lose the why. You lose salvation. You lose a mediator who can go between God and humanity and save them from their sin. In this session, we're going to be talking about the person of Christ. Uh, some of this will be review based on the lecture from the Doctrine of the Trinity and God the Son but a lot of this will not be review. so um, we're going to talk about the who of the person of Christ the what the when, the where, the how and the why Then we're going to spend a few minutes talking about some Christological errors. So what we're really talking about in this session is the doctrine of Christology. Christology. We're talking about um, the doctrine... Welcome. In this session, we are talking about Christology or the doctrine of Christ. The doctrine of Christ is broken uh, down into two parts, the person of Christ and the work of Christ. This session is talking about the person of Christ. Some of this will be review from the lecture on the Trinity and the person of the Son, God the Son. But much of it will not be review because we're not going to be merely talking about the eternal person of the Son in his divine nature, but the incarnate Son, Jesus Christ, in human nature as well. Um... So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about the who, the what, the when, the where, the how, and the why of the person of Christ, and then we'll spend a little bit of time talking about some Christological errors. So who are we talking about? We're talking about the eternal son, the eternal son. This was the one who was eternally begotten of the Father before all ages, light from light, very God of very God, as we'll see in just a moment from the Nicene Creed. We see this in several places in Scripture. Psalm 2-7. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. John 1-1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is the image of the invisible God. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of His nature. So remember we talked about in the doctrine of the Trinity, the eternally begotten Son of the Father is um, talked about in the Scripture with three main um, metaphors or, or words or analogies or names. Son, Word, and Image. And those are all encapsulated here. In, uh, in this um, these, these verses that are on the screen there for you. Um, so we're talking about the Eternal Son. The Nicene Creed which is actually more accurately called the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed but that's nobody wants to say that uh, was written the first draft if you will was written in Nicaea modern day Turkey um, in 325 AD and the final revision was affirmed in Constantinople in 381. It's, it's typically just called the Nicene Creed, affirmed by all streams of the faith, Protestant, Roman Catholic, and Eastern Orthodox. And it says that we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all ages, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being one substance with the Father, so we see here. This again is is what we talked about this at, uh, quite a bit in the discussion on the Trinity. So we won't um, go over it in too much detail. Just the idea that we're talking here about not a created being, not a mere man, not even a superman, but we are talking about the S- eternal Son, God the Son, the eternally begotten Son of the Father who is eternally God one God with the Father. So that is the who of the person of Christ. Um what happened? What happened? Well, the eternal son took a human nature into his person. The eternal son took a human nature into his person. Um, and you see there on the screen, um, John 1.14, the word, the eternal word, became flesh and dwelt among us. And remember we talked about in the, in the prologue of John, the first um, 17, 18 verses of John, the word for to be or be or was was the, was the Greek word amy which when it says the, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, as we see back in John 1, 1, that word was, um, that's the word Amy, to be. But then when we get to verse 14, we see this other word that's used only of the creation in the, the book of John. All things became or were made through him, the word ginomai. And so the the astounding reality is that the unbecoming God became, the unbecoming Son became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, The second verse here, that's actually from um, Philippians 2. The the reference there is wrong. Philippians 2, um, uh, verses 6 and 7. Who, existing in the form of God, Christ did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And again, that's Philippians 2, 6 and 7, not John 1.14. 14. Um, what we see here, the what of the incarnation is that the eternal word took a human nature into his person. And so the eternal word is one person subsist subsisting in the divine nature or the divine nature subsisting in one person that he is the second person of the Trinity but he is the one being along with the father and the spirit there's one being one nature one God yet three persons who are the one God the Trinity the he took human nature not into his divine nature he didn't mix human and divine nature like you would mix you know like yellow and red and get orange um, I think that's right, um, but he doesn't mix human and divine to get like this third mixture. We're going to talk in a minute. That's a uh, an error called Eutychianism after a guy named Eutyches. Eutychus, Eutychus. Um, <clears throat> but he took a human nature into his person. Um, the The historic Christian belief on this doctrine of the incarnation was. Formalized at Chalcedon in 451 A.D., so 70 years after the Creed of Chalcedon, um, or excuse me, after the Creed of Constantinople, the, the Creed of Chalcedon, the Chalcedonian Creed, says, We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, of a reasonable, rational soul and body, consubstantial or coessential with the Father according to the Godhead and consubstantial with us according to the manhood. That's absolutely critical. He is perfect God and perfect man, the one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So the person of the Son took a human nature into his person, And he took a reasonable or rational soul and body. He didn't just um, take a human um, form, but actually became a human being, a human nature, soul and body. consubstantial with the Father according to the Godhead and consubstantial with us according to the manhood, meaning he is as fully man in his human nature as he is fully God in his divine, eternal, divine nature. In all things like unto us without sin. So the only difference is he's, he's without sin. Begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead. And in these latter days for us in our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the mother of God, according to the manhood. Now, this is where um, certain streams of Christianity, Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox in some, in some cases, sort of go um, beyond what was really intended by the creed. When it says the mother of God, it means that when Mary gave birth to Jesus or Jesus was conceived in in her womb and then she gave birth to him, that she was giving birth to God. And so this was a Christological statement, much more than a Mariological statement. It was much more about Jesus than about Mary. Um, This doesn't mean Mary isn't important, but it does mean um, that that. The, this point is more about Christ than it is about Mary and it's often been flipped the other way where Mary is is um, a co mediator a mediatrix with uh, Jesus and that is not a biblical teaching and, and I don't think it's it's really a historic creedal teaching either um so he's he's begotten of the father eternally and he's then he's begotten of a mother in time so in eternity he has no mother In the ineffable, beyond our understanding, eternal generation of the Father of the Son and then the ineffable generation of the person of Christ in the womb of Mary um, without father. So in eternity he had no mother and in time he had no father, at least biologically. And in these latter days, for us in our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the mother of God, according to the manhood, one in the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten. So one in the same Christ. So there's not two persons with two natures. That's another error um, we're going to see called Nestorianism. But one person with two natures, fully God and fully man. This is called the hypostatic union. The the Greek word that is the equivalent of our word person or persona In Latin was the word hypostasis. So hypostatic union means there's the union of two natures in one hypostasis or one person. Begotten, um, one in the same Christ, only begotten to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably. So inconfusedly, meaning they're not confused. There's no no, uh, um, confusion over which nature is which. Unchangeably. So that one nature doesn't change into the other or become like the other. Indivisibly. So they're united in such a way that, and also inseparably, they can't be separated. So they're so closely united that you can't divide them, but they are so distinct that you can't confuse them. Distinction of the natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved, concurring in one person and one subsistence. Not parted or divided between two pers- into two persons, but one and the same Son only begotten, God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him, and the Lord Jesus Christ Himself has taught us, and the Creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us this is absolutely critical for understanding the biblical teaching of crystal of, of the person of christ the creed of chalcedon the chalcedonian definition of the person of christ one person with two natures those natures are united and undivided but not confused or commingled or mixed together like like you know like uh, like i said like mixing if if you know um divine nature was red and the human nature was yellow, you put them together, you, you wouldn't be able to divide them, but you also are not looking at some part of Christ that is orange and some mixture. Uh, this is the mystery of the incarnation, that Christ took a uh, human nature into his person. Um, the, the, now, I just, again, I just want to reiterate the importance of the creeds. The Nicene Creed and the, Chal- the Chalcedonian Creed. Um, they may be dense, hard to understand. They are not the same authority as the Bible. But all Christians throughout time have found them to be faithful guides to understanding the Bible and faithfully summarizing the Bible. And so we we are impoverished in our biblical understanding if we don't look to the wisdom. Just like a Christian who doesn't go to church and learn from a pastor um, is impoverished in their spiritual life. We as Christians are impoverished if we don't learn from the great Christian uh, teachers of the past. Uh, nothing was missing from the divine nature of Christ. They, the, the, he was completely divine, completely God, and completely human. Um, so, so we need to talk briefly now about two. Terms. The first is nature and the second is person. What is a nature? Well, nature is, is what is true of a given type of being. So, the nature of a tree is to grow roots into the soil and have smaller little things coming off called branches or leaves or, or needles and have this midsection called a trunk. The nature of a human is to have a body, a soul, a mind, a will, and emotions. The nature of God is to be eternal, unchangeable, simple, all-powerful, all-knowing. So a nature is what is true of a given type of being. A person, a person is a specific expression of a nature. So every human has the same nature, but each individual human is a different specific person. They look or act in a certain and specific way. Um, This is the mystery of the Incarnation, in that God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, eternally has a divine nature. But unlike human beings, this is the mystery of, of the Trinity. To understand the mystery of the Incarnation, you first have to get to the mystery of the Trinity. Human beings, each individual person, is an individual instance of the human nature. So they are not the same nature. They have the same kind of nature, but not the identically same nature. With God, it's different. There are three persons who share the fullness of one divine nature. The nature of God is to be eternal, apart from time, without beginning or end, infinite, without limits of knowledge or power. God is self-sufficient. He isn't made of, of parts. He is simple, but infernal. he is fully and eternally alive who he is all of the time. And then the mystery of the story of the Incarnation, is that the divine person, God the Son, could take the human nature, take a human nature, and live as a single person with two natures? This is unprecedented in history. This is the only time it has ever, or it will ever happen. We don't understand it because it's without parallel. He was simultaneously limitless and limited, self-existent and dependent. Eternal and time bound, all knowing and unaware, all powerful and weak, exalted and humiliated, sovereign over all and subjected to much, transcending suffering and suffering more than any person who has ever lived, unkillable yet killed. This is the mystery and the heart of the mystery of the incarnation and the mystery of the gospel. That God became a man. How can this happen? Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. He took the human nature into his person. He didn't subtract from his deity, his his divine nature, but he added human nature and thereby subtracted by addition. When did he do this? Scripture says he did this at the fullness of time. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. It's the image of an hourglass. And when every grain of sand has slid from the top bulb of the hourglass through the narrow neck at the bottom bulb bulb of the hourglass, God sent his son. God is the Lord of time, and his plan unfolded exactly when he intended it to. And we could talk about the wisdom and the providence of God and how how all of this came to pass with the the conjunction of cultures and language and the roadway system. Um, But in the fullness of time, when God's perfect plan um, called for it, Jesus Christ came. Where did this happen? Where did this happen? Well, it happened in the womb... Of a virgin in Israel. And this was prophesied from the earliest days of human history. Genesis three fifteen says, I will put this is God pronouncing a curse um, on the serpent after he had deceived humanity and led them into sin. He says, I will put hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel promises to Abram. The Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples of the earth will bless be blessed through you. A ruling scepter would come from Judah's line, the scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he whose right it is comes and the obedience of the peoples belongs to him. The promise of a great prophet like Moses from among the brothers of Israel, Deuteronomy 18:15. The Lord's declaration to David that the Lord himself will make a house for you. When the time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. So we see there both the immediate fulfillment of this promise in Solomon and the final ultimate fulfillment in the sinless one, Jesus Christ. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself will see, give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive and have a son. And name him Emmanuel. Where did this happen? In a womb of a virgin in Israel. All of this according to plan and according to promise. The virgin conception means that the cycle of sin is broken. Everyone after the first man Adam was born in the likeness of Adam and carries the spiritual genetic disease called sin. But Jesus was born of a virgin, which broke the line of Adam's sin. He was born of a virgin in Israel as a fulfillment of God's promises and purposes. How did this happen? It happened by the Father's mission and the Spirit's action. God sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So the Father eternally sent the Son. As the Father eternally begets the Son in eternity, he sends the Son On a mission in time. The word for mission is the Latin word for sending. So the father's sending of the son is his mission for the son to come into the world, to take a human nature and to become a man born as an infant, grow as a child, become a boy, grow as a man, mature without sin, offer his life for sinners on the cross to be buried and raised from the dead so that anyone who would turn from their sin and trust in him will be forgiven their sin and given eternal life and it was by the father's mission and the spirit's action. Mary asked the angel, "How can this be since I had not had sexual relations with a man?" The angel replied to her, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who will be the one the, excuse, therefore the holy one to be born will be called the son of God." Um The Holy Spirit miraculously created new life in the womb of Mary, again, apart from the sinful lineage of all humanity. When the Father sent the Son, um, Herman Bovingsen says, The Father could not be sent, for He is first in order and is self-existent. The Spirit proceeds from the Son, succeeds Him, and is sent by Him. But the Son was the one who was suited for the Incarnation. In the Divine Being, He occupies the place between the Father and the Spirit is by nature the Son, image of God, and was mediator already in the first creation, and His Son could restore us to our position as children of God. Why did God do this? Because of love to save us from sin. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His only begotten Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Who for us and for our salvation as the creed has said. God sent the Son because we need a mediator. We need someone to go between. We need someone to save us. We're lost and we're rebellious. We're we're broken and we're battered. We know we can't fix it ourselves. This is why people get obsessed with presidential elections and, and Trump or not Trump. This is why people are Terrified by the coronavirus outbreak, because we lo- we lose our sense of control. We we be- we come face to face with what we already know, and that is we can't save ourselves. We're obsessed with finding something or someone who will save us. We're born with the knowledge that we need a great high priest, but only one who could only one could bridge this gap between God and humanity. The one who was both God and man. One who is both fully and completely human and also fully and completely divine. Only the God-man can pay the penalty for sin that human beings must pay. The penalty for sin is death, but only an infinite God can satisfy the debt owed to an infinite God. And this is why God the Son became a man, the man Christ Jesus, because he loved us. An ancient theologian named Maximus the Confessor said, In his love of humanity, the only begotten Son and word of God became perfect man with a view to redeeming human nature from helplessness in evil. And this is love not that we love God but that God loved us and sent His Son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And this is why getting the doctrine of Christ, the person of Christ in Christology right is so critical. There are um, a number of Christological errors we're gonna note briefly. And with the point to know is that with any one of these errors, in one form or another, we lose the gospel. So the first error is Sabellianism. This is the teaching that the, the Son is not truly a distinct person from the Father. And if this is true, then you, you lose a God of love. The Father can't send the Son because the Father and the Son are not distinct persons but are just different modes of presentation or manifestation that God presents to the world. The second error is Arianism. We talked about these both in the Trinitarian uh, discussion. In this case, Christ is not truly God. And if he's not truly God, he can't truly mediate between God and man. The third error is Apollinarianism. This was the, the teaching that Christ, though he was truly God, wasn't truly a man. He only seemed to be a man. Sometimes this is called docetism, where Christ... May have a human body, but he doesn't have a human mind or a human soul. He only seemed to be the man, a man. And in the same way, on the opposite side, if Christ is not a man, how can he stand in for humanity? If he's only partially man, he's only, he, he can't fully save us. The fourth error is called Nestorianism. These are all named after people, Sibelius, Arius, Apollinaris, and Nestorius. And this is the teaching that Christ is two persons with two natures. That, that there was not a genuine union of divine and human in the person of Christ, but there was two persons and two natures just closely connected to each other. In that case, you don't have a single mediator. You have a divided mediator. And finally, you have Eutychianism after Eutyches. Eutyches I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Um, and he taught that um, this teaching is that the divine and the human nature are some sort of mixture. What's sometimes called in Latin the tertium quid, third kind. So, if the human nature of Christ is yellow and the divine nature is red, you mix them together and you have orange. And so, you don't have truly God or truly man. You have some third thing that's that's neither. Um, and this this is an error as well. And again, with both all all of these. What you end up losing is you lose the why. You lose the why. You lose salvation. You lose a mediator who can go between God and humanity and save them from their sin.